There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Your host, Nate Ryan, here with the NASCAR Hall of Famer, Dale Jarrett. We're here on the Monday after Bristol Motor Speedway. First round cutoff race, DJ, and NASCAR gets its 19th winner of the 2022 season. It's fourth straight first-time winner this season. And now they've had Austin Dillon, Eric Jones, Bubba Wallace, and now Chris Buescher all win for the first time in 2022. So four straight, bringing us to 19. I think it's a certainty we get to 20. I mean, Truex hasn't won yet. He's been running well. Blaney hasn't won yet. I'm glad you're on as our guest because... You took some grief for predicting early <laughs> in the year that there were going to be 16 winners, and I'm not pleading guilty here because it was our other analysts, I think, who disagree with you. Maybe we should blame KP for disagreeing the most. Um, yes. And there were some other drivers. I know Denny Hamlin also said, no way NASCAR is going to get to 16 winners. So now we're, we're here at 19. So I'm going to give you a chance to like take your victory lap <laughs> and tell us, how'd you know? Did you know that this was going to be this kind of year because of the car? Was that the reason why? You know, uh, when I said that, actually, it we had had a number of new winners at that time, and it just looked like that this car was going to present a lot of different options for mm-hmm. drivers and teams, and opportunities is probably a better word uh, that we hadn't seen before. And it, it just seemed to me at that time that if we were ever going to get in this situation before teams and drivers figured this car out, that we could get to that number, I just threw it out there that I I believe this is the year that that we can actually see that happen. Really not thinking that it would go over that number, but as we sit here now with, as you pointed out, there's Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney we think is going to win at some point in time, among others. I mean, Brad Keselowski ran great uh, at Bristol, and and you have to think that he's going to be a factor when we go to Talladega. And so uh, opportunities are there. So uh, it's been fun to watch and see all of this. And, you know, that's just free advertising for NASCAR racing whenever, you know, you can boast that you've had 19 winners. And the thing that we have to look at now, will a playoff driver ever win one of these races again (laughs) this year? (laughs) Yeah, that's the conversation that we all expected to have along with, will we break the all-time record for winners in the season? Which, by the way, we just tied it with 19. Yeah, also, how many non-playoff drivers will win races. We're up to three in a row now with, as I said, Eric Jones at Darlington, Bubba Wallace at Kansas, now Chris Busher at Bristol. I was going to get to this later, but let's bring it up now, DJ. I mean, it seems to me as if what we're seeing here, again, it's of course related to the next-gen car, but whenever we used to talk about the playoffs starting, it would always be, you know, Chicagoland Speedway, the top 10 speeds in the opening practice are all playoff drivers, yeah. or, the, you know, the top 10 finishers are all playoff drivers, and it seems as if this year, we're not seeing that level of dominance, and I asked Ross Chastain and Joey Logano both about this at Bristol this past weekend, and they made points that were probably obvious to somebody like you, but not to me, like Ross said. It's different. This car has reset that whole thing where, like, you can't bring different headers here you can't bring 
a new aero package, like you're trying to maximize everything, but we all have the same parts. You can't build a new right front spindle and save it for the playoffs, and you can't build, you know, bring different brake pads that you've they've found in testing to be better and bring them now. Like there's nothing else to bring. Like we all order the same stuff, and this has been the the greatest reset this sport has ever seen, ever. Like from the very first race, you could build a better car. Now you can only assemble a better car. We all build off the same control arms, chassis, body panels. Like we all scan them in our Hawkeyes and we bring them here and we try not to let the sun hit them and we get them through tech and then we race them and they're so equal. It's been the greatest reset. So um, there's really there's geometry and setups, but you're just moving stuff around on the car. You, you can't bring different materials because we all buy the same stuff. Uh, Logano said, yeah, I mean, there's only certain areas you can develop. Right, and, and it's not really many parts on the race car that is, so it's smaller, and so it comes down to, to setups. You know, you, you're we're all playing with the same, you know, the same deck of cards when we start, and it's just kind of how you play that hand, and it it varies from track to track, and especially I said coming to Bristol for the first time, someone can hit it that's not really expected to, right? It's hard to have just a clear advantage going into where you can miss your setup a little bit and still be pretty good, right? That's how it's been in the past is if someone's just got better cars, more capability in their car, they can miss the setup and still run fifth to 10th. Now, if you miss your setup, you're probably running 15th to 20th, um, right? Which is, it's just a lot different now. And then because of that, you have different winners because there's more capable cars out there. Um, and no one has a clear advantage um, in a lot of different ways. There's some tracks that, you know, certain manufacturers may have advantages over others, but it's it's not huge like it used to be. Is is teams that might have a little bit of an advantage here and there because they figured something out for a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's it's just keeps changing, right? Like, and in, in everyone's trying to figure out not only the setups, but where is the low-hanging fruit on this car when you're developing it from a, you know, at the wind tunnel and those type of things. What can and can't you do? You used to have teams that were strong for three to four months at a time. Now it's three to four weeks at a time. And it just seems like that cycle happens a lot quicker now. For the remaining seven races, will the powerhouse teams ever figure out how to get that advantage just with setup-related cars? I, I, don't, I don't think that advantage exists right now. I, yeah. I, I believe that... You're, they're they're so concerned about the parts and pieces that they have to work with that that they know exactly what they can and can't do with it. They're treading lightly because of some things and penalties that they've seen people get by uh, trying to tinker with these things just a little bit. So those advantages that they could once get because they were bigger teams with more employees, more opportunities to work on things and, and to give them an advantage uh, just don't exist now. So yeah. I, I think it's the opportunities are endless for what we could see as far as drivers because we keep talking about, you know, I mean, I don't think that we would have sat down and said that, that Chris Buescher uh, was going to win at Bristol. Um, you know, was he going to win anywhere? Yeah, maybe Daytona um, and Talladega. Uh, we saw him run really well at Sonoma, uh, so might pop up at a road course. But, you know, it, before, they, they just couldn't find themselves in that position a, a, as much. And and you're right. The the speed charts look completely different now, uh, what little practice time they get. Um, the running order through the races, 
we saw a lot of the playoff drivers migrate and, and get good finishes yeah, uh, yeah. into the top ten. But a lot of the race is not what you saw there. Uh, where we are used to seeing, you know, 12 of the 16 uh, would be uh, in that top 15 or something. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen at Bristol and hasn't happened in, in the other races. So I, I really don't see th that happening this year. Now, as they get a winner to – look over these cars, and I know there's going to probably be some changes coming because I, I really believe that the new car, as great as it's been for competition and what we've seen, and we talk about 19 winners, um, some things were exposed about the car. Uh, they have been at some other places, but at Bristol, uh, and there is no other track like Bristol, but you had to think that these things would eventually happen at other places to where the loads were this high and the speeds this fast through the corners. So uh, there's some work to be done there uh, after that Bristol race. Where do you think the low-hanging fruit might be on setups? You know, Logano saying that, that Team Penske hasn't figured out, like, the clear advantage with this car is – is it a mindset shift, I guess, for teams and drivers where it used to be like, hey, we'll save our best, lightest stuff for the playoffs? How do you, can, <laughs> how do, you do it when it's just setup related, I guess? Like, yeah. how, how do you do it where you, that low-hanging fruit, that suspension stuff? Because I guess if everybody's working on setups, it's different than working on parts and knowing that we can save this for the last 10 races and no one else is going to have it. Yeah, I, I think that we saw some teams and, and drivers probably through the regular season after they got themselves solidly locked in and, and it was quite obvious that nobody was going to have a tremendous amount of playoff points to to benefit them a lot going through the playoffs with each round that, that we saw teams trying some things I, I think there were probably more failures than gains in, in a lot of it I, I thought at one time that maybe Chase Elliott and his team had figured out a lot of stuff but didn't show, if if they did they haven't brought it yet because they <laughs> yeah. really struggled. I mean yeah. I know he finished second at Bristol, but he didn't qualify well. That, that he didn't a, look good at Darlington. And no, <laughs> no, and yeah. he didn't. He just didn't. They performed as everyone else had problems at Bristol. Yeah. They didn't have any problems, and, and they took advantage of that, which is partly what you have to do. So I don't see that there's a lot there. Yeah, it used to be that okay. Everything that we learned for the first 26 races, we're incorporating that into new cars to build for the 10 race playoffs. Yeah. There's no advantage to that now. Um, I know they're having to build and rebuild a lot of the parts and pieces uh, that they're mandated to run from a, a standpoint of making sure they don't have more failures. Yeah. But, but getting things that have given them an advantage, I, I think it's more about there are going to be tracks that certain manufacturers are going to run better at than the others. So I think you try to manage whenever you go to where you're not and you're not as good at, at certain places and types of tracks. And you really have to step up and take advantage of your driver and, and the advantage that your car may give you uh, at certain tracks, like the Toyotas at the mile and a half. Right. They, they have to be – Denny Hamlin has to be outstanding at Texas. It, it, they they just have to perform because they know that's an opportunity because yeah. when they go to the Roval at Charlotte, they know there hasn't been a road course yet that, that the Toyotas have performed well at. So this shapes up as a very interesting round for the manufacturers if you look at it uh, simply because of those things and drivers that do better at Talladega and then some uh, like the, the car uh, the Toyota hasn't performed well at the Roval. So those drivers, Denny Hamlin and Christopher Bell, they, they understand they've got to make hay when they can, and that'll be certainly at 
Texas and at Talladega before they get to that. Texas is next, and then after that, Talladega and then the Roval. So certainly a lot of opportunity here for yes. another uh, surprise winner. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, obviously the way the Toyotas ran at Kansas, and there's still a first-time winner possibility there with Ty Gibbs. I mean, it would be a no stunner, doubt. but at the same time, it's not like he hasn't run well enough yeah. to be there. Make sure you focus on what DJ says. You called the winners of Darlington and Kansas? Is that right? Okay. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, I jumped out on the limb with Bubba a little bit at Kansas. I, I knew that I did I did not know at the time that I picked that. I, I do know now that that was the same car that Kirk Bush drove there. Oh, really? Uh, okay. To, to win. But okay. I did not, wasn't privy to that information before. I just felt like that Bubba ran well that day that Kirk won at Kansas also, but yeah. he had two penalties that sent him to the back uh, because of his pit crew. And he was never really given a fair chance to, to run right up there with his teammate at that race. Don't know that he would have outrun Kirk Busch, but, but I knew that he had run well enough that, hey, he's in a situation now. We've seen him perform well. And I just felt like that it was a good time to take a big underdog, and, and he went and performed there. So uh, I think you could see another scenario at Texas to where these Toyotas are going to be very strong Hard to beat in that situation. Yeah, a Ty Gibbs is very uh, capable of winning. Martin Truex Jr. very capable of winning at Texas. So you know this this trend, if you will, uh, may continue for sure. All right. Well, I don't make my fantasy lineup until I check in with the Jarrett and Associates <laughs> pick on the pre-race show, as uh, Kyle Petty calls your prediction slash betting service. So definitely be paying attention to that. And again, you were on with 16 winners. 16 winners plus and you also picked Ryan Blaney to win Saturday at Bristol and certainly seemed like he wow. had one of the best cars yeah. right yeah yeah I think uh, he and I both were disappointed in the things that happened there <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know it, it didn't even take you know to get to a lap 100 for him to to right. have his problems and um I think he did. I mean, we saw a Ford win. I, I thought going in that the Fords were going to be the ones to beat on Saturday night at Bristol. But having that issue early on, uh, you have to applaud them for going in and being able to repair that car enough to, to get back out and make laps and gain a few more spots. I, I think he would have made it through whether they finished last or next to last anyway with everything that transpired. But uh, they did a tremendous job. And, you know, I, I don't think that he's that it's going to be a – Daniel Hemrick from 2021 not winning all year until the championship <laughs> right. race comes along. But that could very well be the case with Ryan Blaney. You know, they're solid enough everywhere that he certainly could be that driver that could maneuver his way through the rounds and be part of the championship four without ever winning a race uh, until he got there. Yeah, so he was one of many guys who had problems. Normally we don't go this deep into the podcast without talking about the race. But unfortunately, uh, DJ, uh, not a lot to talk about positive-wise about the racing in the car. And you already said it, that the next gen got exposed. You said that on the post-race show as well. You said it's been fantastic racing for most of the year uh, with the next gen. Had a lot of close finishes, a lot of outcomes in doubt until the final 10 laps. But as you said, it, it kind of got exposed at Bristol Motor Speedway. I know Bristol presents challenges in terms of the loading and everything like that. We're probably not going to see, hopefully, the steering problems that yeah. we saw Saturday night again through the final seven races of the season. But you had all those steering issues that especially the Toyota teams seem to be affected by. You had many tire problems. I'm not really sure that was necessarily car related, but certainly is affected by the setup they're using. And what's interesting is this now happening in this situation that NASCAR and its teams have never been in before. They have essentially have spec cars. The teams can't just fix this. They're at the mercy of 
what's being supplied to them by these single source vendors. And, you know, Martin Truex Jr. on our broadcast Saturday night was the latest to be very critical the way Kevin Harvick was at Darlington. So I know you didn't race in a spec series type environment the way the next gen has created in the cup series. But what do you make of what this must be like for teams to be wrestling with all of this? Well, I I think it's... uh it's a difficult situation because it is something that's completely different than what they've ever faced before right. with this. You know, they, as you pointed out, if they had problems in the past, then they only had to look at what they were doing that, that may have created that by making the majority of the parts and pieces that they raced. They, they can look at this now, but there's really no change in it. I mean, there is still somewhat of a supply problem uh, with everything. Most everybody now has enough cars and parts and pieces, but if you really get in a, a bind, um, everything's still not there. And, and even what you are getting uh, and what you do have, you can't do anything to. So if there's issues with it, it's not like it can be fixed from one week to the next uh, because you're not allowed to, to do anything there. So I, I think this really has the team's concern and why we do see uh, a lot more things happening that, than what we have in the past. And uh, I, I think that that's not being able to get that advantage for the top-tier teams uh, is something that they're not accustomed to. You yeah. know, And so they're having to battle and fight and figure things out as they go along. We, we shouldn't have expected that this would – we would just all of a sudden bring a completely new car with all new parts and pieces to the racetrack. You have to think back that when this car first started being developed, all of a sudden the pandemic hit and this was kind of put to the side. And so the testing that actually was done and the parts and pieces started being made, it had to be done quickly because they had this time, 2022 is when they wanted to start running this car. And... They weren't going to change that. And so a lot had to happen quickly. And when you do things quickly, uh, sometimes everything's not up to par and and some things get overlooked. And so then you start getting things exposed. And so the teams don't like to be put in that situation, but they are. And, you know, I think it's more now about surviving these rounds. It's not just the things that are happening with the car. You know, we see the pit crews make more mistakes than we have ever seen. And and we know that the pressure ramps up when you get into the playoffs. And we know that now each position is harder to gain back if you lose that on pit road. And so, you know, they're being put in a very uncomfortable position and they don't want to put their drivers in a worse position because, you know, we've heard some of the conversations over the radios and those aren't pretty either. So uh, this has become difficult for them. And the pit crews are dealing with something different as well. And we're 29 races into the single lug nut era, but it's still obviously creating problems. I didn't foresee it would would go this long, but I understand why. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing is that the teams try to get better and faster at these pit stops, understanding what's at stake. We, we do see this, and especially, you know, the majority of the things that we see now are happening on the left side, and that is because the, the jackman is basically either being told, or this is how they practice it, that he's expecting those tire changers and, and the tire carriers to do their job in a certain amount of time, and they're not taking the time if you watch these, they're not taking the time to look and make sure that both tire changers have completed their job. They're looking in one direction, and when they see that, they assume the other one is done. Uh, especially they're looking at 
the rear now that he should be finished and, and they're just taking their chance that, that he is done. Because if he takes that split second to look before he drops the jack, then you've lost time. And that may be one, two, three spots. And they're, not, they're willing to take the chance that everyone did their job and there wasn't an issue. But we saw it with Kevin Harvick's team the other night. Uh, that was the left front tire once again. Jackman's looking at the, the left rear never even looking at the left front. And uh, all of a sudden, you, you have an issue and you know take any chance away that they, they shouldn't have been changing left side tires to begin with. We know that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if they were trying to win the race, but uh, they, they were doing that. And by doing it and having the problem, it took any chance away. Yeah, another discussion entirely. Yes, yeah, it yeah, it seems like a, a chance worth taking until the jack goes down and the guy's not done. Because yes. once, the, once the car's on the ground, you can't change yep. it at that point and yeah. that's yeah. Uh, that's the and that, you know that's the, the driver's cue to take off you know and yeah as soon as he moves and so yeah uh, there's a lot of issues there still and th this isn't going to fix itself over these next seven races so you know somebody's gonna once again in these next two rounds going to take themselves out of contention of moving forward and being a part of the championship four. Don't know who that will be, but we've seen a number of teams. And, you know, could even be we see quite a few changes in pit crews within organizations that may be trying to, you know, put their very best there. I think you're on a slippery slope when you start doing that, but we've seen it before. Yeah, we heard of one about one today that Denny Hamlin now will have the 18 pit crew. We learned of that today from Joe Gibbs Racing, which is certainly interesting. The problems with the next-gen car, DJ, do you think it's a wake-up call? for NASCAR probably is not going to pop up again, you would hope, at the tracks that NASCAR will go to here the last seven races. But can they hold some sort of emergency meeting <laughs> with their suppliers and like just say, hey, we can't have situations like this? I don't know. Maybe the, the counter argument also is like the fact that the first race at Bristol was on dirt. Yeah. The yeah. potential was always going to be there. This is going to be a wild card. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. They had no idea that because there is no other track like Bristol to where it puts that type of load uh, on everything. You know, it, with the old cars, you used to do things differently with the cars just so they would be able to withstand everything that Bristol brings with the high banks, the fast speeds. This car had not been tested to that point. I mean, you think about Dover, that it could be somewhat uh, the same type uh, with the concrete surface and, and relatively high banks, but nothing like what the Bristol track is. And, and by with it being on dirt, it wasn't even a comparison. Yeah. The, the, the speeds exceeded anything and everything that the drivers and teams thought that they made. And the, the continuous speeds, I think, was the, the biggest thing that they were able to uh, keep attacking this racetrack lap after lap after lap. And, and, you know, that also created the situation of not having a lot of passes for the lead, right. you know, being out front. It, it wasn't necessarily that the air was great. It's just the speeds. We heard a number of drivers talk about that the cars were going through the, the center of the corner so fast you, you couldn't even gain an advantage unless somebody made a mistake, got loose going in or right in the middle or something like that. So, uh, yeah. you know, that, there were a lot of things. And, and as far as NASCAR – being able to make changes can't it because of the supply change change it, it, yeah. it you, because it'd have to be for every team it can't yeah. just be that oh okay we've got these 12 <laughs> drivers that are still in the playoffs we'll right. get them to change their stuff can't can't be done that way yeah. so right. th they're in a box now 
certainly they will move forward with better information and take this and, and make things better for the future, uh, but that the future means 2023. Yeah, that's one of the downsides about having a spec series with 36 essentially full-time cars is you can't be as nimble as the teams could be in yeah. changing things up and adapting to exactly. something. You're relying on companies to do this across the board for every team and the teams, their, their hands are tied, as you said. I'm glad you did bring up the arrow and the speeds. Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick both said that, that they're running faster in the center of the corner than on the straightaways, which unfortunately you never want to see at this type of track, yeah. especially fewest lead changes in 13 years. Scott Graves, the, the crew chief for Chris Busher, said it was, it was a no-brainer for him to take two tires because sure. he felt like you get out front. I mean, we saw it with Busher's teammate, Brad Kozlowski, ran the first 125 laps on the same set of tires, never pitted, won the first yep. stage. And he had a fast car, but it was also true that the leader could really, it felt like, control this race and it was more track position. Unfortunately, similar race at Martinsville. Next Gen's been great, certainly on huh. the speedways. I, I, this is sort of the backwards than I think what we expected. Uh, I'm looking forward to Texas. It seems to have improved yep. the mile and a half racing, but short tracks have been a little bit of a challenge for Next Gen. Yeah, but if you think about it in reality, and I, di I didn't think about this until just recently as to why that may be but the old cars were all developed so they were the cars were offset so you can make the left side as straight and, and have more weight there and everything these these cars are built and they're all the same for every single racetrack they're basically a straight up car that's why they perform well on the road course and it doesn't affect them as much on the bigger tracks because on a short track every short track racer in america will tell you he wants to offset that's why they had to put a limit as to how much it could be offset in years past uh, with the old cars because you would just keep doing it as much as you could and, and making that left side uh, way and and control more of everything now they don't have that yeah. so that every at every short track that you go to uh, across America, drivers and teams have figured these things out, and that's what they do to make their cars drive, and that's what creates the competition. And so it makes it more difficult when you don't have that ability to do that now. Is that maybe a potential solution that NASCAR could use to fix it? Or? I, I think I think that has to be in the discussion that because they realize too, obviously, you know, they they don't want to see that. You know, they want yeah. to see competitive racing. You know, we do surely. To goodness, we can do something on everything under a mile or a mile and under if we really want to, to enhance the racing. Hell, we put stuff on the racetrack to help it, to, and that obviously didn't. So, yeah, why shouldn't we make, be able to make that change? Well, that's certainly hopefully something will be addressed ahead of Martinsville, which is the third-round cutoff race. So one thing about Bristol that was interesting to me, DJ, is it did feel kind of old-school you know, attrition, cars competing against cars that were already out of the race, like Austin Sindrick being several laps down from the tire problems, but him trying to make up laps to pass Kyle Busch with an engine failure, Daniel Suarez having to drive this completely undrivable car yeah. that was, I think, five or six laps down just to make the playoffs. What did you make of that? Because, you know, I'm not trying to date you, but when I started following NASCAR, it was like mid to late 90s, and I missed out on the era when not every car was as bulletproof yeah. as they yeah. are now. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, different. yeah, you, you had engine failures. Uh, uh, parts failures, crashes. You literally, at a place like Bristol, you would want to just survive those first 300 laps if you could because you knew then there were going to be fewer cars on the track. And, you know, I don't care how fast a car you ever have there, you're encountering traffic almost every single lap. So once a re restart, 
uh, was put there, then you're catching cars within five, ten laps at the most. And so you're always around cars. But as that attrition started in those races, uh, you, it, it made it somewhat easier. And I think we saw some of that the other night. Uh, once the big wreck happened on the back straightaway after the restart with Daniel Suarez, I don't know how he held on to that car for that long. Uh, <laughs> but he was, at that point, making it work. And, and he eventually made it work and moved himself on into the round of 12. But uh, I, I think that that is one thing that we will see Probably, I don't know that we'll see it everywhere is the thing. Uh, yeah. But but it did bring back memories of that type of racing and, and how it changed the racing and, and the things that you looked at and, and drivers and teams doing whatever they could to complete every single lap. Most of them did. I think Martin Truex told his team, I ain't driving anything anymore. <laughs> Just load the damn thing up and we're going on and we'll see you in Texas. <laughs> I'm out of the playoffs. Already <laughs> wants, or this season really to be over. Yes. So I also had a surprise winner. Chris Buescher wins for Brad Keselowski, Roush Fenway Racing. Are you surprised at how tough this year has been for Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, or did you know this was going to be a slog when Brad went over there? I can't say that I was surprised. I wondered how the new car may affect them. Could it be in a positive direction since they, they didn't have to build all the parts and pieces uh, like they were before. So so was this going to help them become competitive and more competitive quicker than, than what it might than what the task might have been? Because they had fallen pretty far down and, and were having a hard time competing over there. But I will have to say, I, I, I'm still surprised that they are this far. I mean, we've, we've seen them at more tracks and, and at more races be competitive. And Brad probably more just recently uh, that, that we've seen him. Right. But, but Chris Busher has been there a lot. Yes. And, and yes. it becomes very evident as to why they wanted to sign Chris Busher and keep him there, a very talented young race driver. And yeah. uh, I think that he's showing us that – that there's even more talent there than maybe what we thought as he won his Xfinity championships and what he's been doing to, to keep himself in contention here. So good to see for them. Really, really good. And and these are the good things that the new car has brought of, you know, right. with Trackhouse uh, winning uh, with their two drivers, getting them their first wins in the Cup Series. And, and then for, for Brad to be able to have this as an owner uh, now, as, as a winning car owner, uh, really cool to see and uh, was fun to watch him. It is cool to see and it has brought some new faces to the front like Chris Busher, and that's been the surprise for me that he has outrun Brad Keselowski more often than not yeah. in the 2022 season and perfect setup by you this brings us to our motor mouse of the race presented by eBay Motors which is where we take a quote from the past race weekend and talk about it at length and this week the quote is from Brad Keselowski on Chris Busher. After the win at Bristol, Brad Keselowski said, I wanted Chris Busher to drive the 21 Cup car about five years ago. I thought that highly of him, and, and there was a number of reasons why it didn't come over, timing and, and so forth. Uh, but I thought that was a, a, a natural fit for him, and I thought a lot of his talent then. I, you know, I went to a, a Ford driving school with him somewhere around 2015, um, and uh, I was blown away by his talent and his feel for the car. Uh, and I just felt like he didn't have the support system around him to be successful with the teams he was with. And so um, I, I kind of felt like he was a hidden free agent gem that wasn't being scouted properly uh, and felt that way for a handful of years. And uh, so, yeah, the first thing, it was literally the first thing I did when I signed the papers at RFK was uh, the next step after signing my papers was putting an offer in front of him to give him a contract extension. And uh, I felt like he was somebody we could build around and, and get results and, uh, today clearly shows that uh, that was the case. DJ 
interested in your take on all of that because you kind of found yourself, I think, in that situation in the mm-hmm. early parts of your cup career before you went to Wood Brothers Racing and, yeah. and had the success that put you on the radar of getting to Joe Gibbs Racing and then Robert Yates Racing. So some parallels there maybe with like what Chris Brusher has been going through. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. Yeah, And, you know, the the efforts, if, if you're in that position, it's not a lot of fun because right. you don't know, is this ever going to happen for me? You yes. know, you, you don't know. And, and I think that what Chris Busher was able to do, as people looked, they understood that, that the equipment that he was driving for a good while wasn't up to par, and but yet he was performing at a high level at certain tracks. It, it wasn't a weekly thing, but but you knew the potential was there and what you saw. And, and you know, that that's great seeing that Brad was able to to get a hold of this early on and understand what Chris Busher was as the driver. So I appreciate that and and the effort that he made then once he got his ownership deal done that, hey, this is what we have to do. This is the first thing. And uh, uh, when you get high praise from a, a champion like that, it uh, means a lot. You know, I, th- I think the one thing that helped me as I look back on my career was having Kel Yarborough to sign me in, in 1988 to, as he was winding down his career. Uh, I drove a, a partial schedule for him. And even though his team that he owned wasn't uh, one of the top-tier teams at the time, they, they performed at a high level. And so people looked at you when you were able to compete very well. They, they saw that, that that potential was there. And so I think that helped me uh, when the Wood Brothers uh, had to find someone to, to sub for Neil Bonnet that they had seen enough with, with Drew Kell that, you know, they were quick to, to call me. And, and so we made a deal there. And, and you know, the rest is kind of history yeah. that it, you know, that was the turning point of my career was being able to drive that 21. So, you know, I think that, that Chris Busher is that type of driver that there's still a lot of, of wins in that the talent of that young man. And I'm sure that they're going to not only will Brad try to keep him there, but Ford Motor Company wants to hang on to him also. Yeah, maybe Bristol in 2022 would be like Michigan in yeah. 1991 and, That's right. and be the start of something big. That was our Motor Mouths of the Race presented by eBay Motors. At eBay Motors, you can be your own pit crew with 122 million parts right at your fingertips. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. All right, so wrapping up the podcast here, DJ, I wanted to talk to you about round of 12 preview, Jarrett and Associates. <laughs> uh, always going to pick your brain for this kind of knowledge. So we lose Kyle Busch, we lose Kevin Harvick, and now we've got 12 guys left. Interesting to me that Chase Elliott, as you mentioned, kind of a lackluster first round, but because of the regular season championship, points reset, and he is now in first again, 15 points ahead of Joey Logano on the basis of his four race wins, five stage wins, and the 15 playoff points he got for in the regular season championship. So even though the nine car maybe had a middling first round, yeah. and to me, he's still a favorite to make the championship four at this point. Has to be, and, and it's strictly based. I mean, if we watch the first round, as you pointed out there, if we look at that, we would say, well, no, how do you make that guy a favorite? But it's because of the playoff points that he's been able to amass at, at this particular time that he gets through this round of 12, then he's going back to the top once again uh, in the round of eight. And so uh, it's a huge advantage. And I think it's a great 
point for the fans to look at that wonder about, well, what does that regular season championship really mean? You know, why are they trying to win this stage? And why are they trying to get these wins at this time in the regular season and taking those chances that, well, this is what it's about. You know, this is the closest we've ever seen since this was put into place, uh, this type of format uh, that we've seen this be. But he has a sided advantage to the other 11 that are in this round of 12 with that. I realize 15 points can go away in a hurry because we saw that happen to Chase Elliott at Darlington. But he he still goes in as the favorite there. You can't – Christopher Bell had – Three great races, all top five races uh, in that round of 16, that first round. And he's going back to where he's down yeah. the list. He's seventh in points yeah. uh, starting the round of 12. Yeah, yeah. so that, that did nothing <laughs> for him yeah. there. You know, I yeah. think he won a stage or two, so he might have one or two more points right. uh, along the way there. Yeah. Uh, but but that essentially, that's all that he got from that, yeah. uh, even though he was in contention to win all three races. He didn't do that, and so he didn't get those five playoff points that would have come with that. And so now they're on that start back up. You have to say, though, that what we've seen from him, not just through that first round of playoffs, but through the year, uh, maybe the best Joe Gibbs racing driver and car on a regular basis, week in and week out, that he brings the speed. And I think he and Adam Stevens have a lot of good things going on there, and they'll be someone that we have to watch which I need two to put in my championship four picks because I lost Harvick and Tyler Reddick. So I'm down to only two people left. And uh, so I'm, I'm basing it on Denny and Chase Elliott uh, staying with me for a while. Tyler Reddick, I think, was a trendy pick because yeah. you figure if he gets through the first two rounds, then Homestead is sitting right there. Then he, I think he exactly. would have been the Exactly, and that was my thinking exactly, that I thought that he definitely could go there and win, but didn't make it. There. Didn't he happen. might still go there and win. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> and you make a great point, too. The magnitude of the regular season – especially this year with the non-playoff drivers winning the first three races. No one has gotten an extra five yep. playoff points from that. Martin Truex Jr. missing the playoffs meant that playoff points he would have gotten for finishing fourth in the regular season standings went away. So yep. suddenly Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, three guys who, again, like I can't think of anything anything those guys did in the first round. I mean, like you said, yep. Chase Elliott finished second at Bristol. I think Logano had a strong finish. But, I mean, Chastain had – average performances at, yep. at Darlington and Kansas and then finished seventh, I think, at Bristol. Uh-huh. And now those guys are your top three yep. to start this round. Yep. So yeah, once again there. I mean, and you look at Denny Hamlin. He's only, I believe I've written down that he's only plus four. Is that right? Right, to right. The, to plus the four to the cut line, yeah. Yeah, so you just think about, I mean, he had two second-place finishes yeah. and, and then had a strong car until he had the flat tire and, and the issues at, at Bristol. So, uh, but he's right back uh, in, in yeah. a battle once again. And, and you know, as... I think he, along with other Toyota drivers, uh, Christopher Bell, and I think we talked about this, but he has to look at Texas as somewhere he needs to go get done. I know he's going to be good at Talladega, but at Talladega, the Toyotas are already in a short number as far as having teammates to help. And I'm not sure how much he'll be able to count on Kyle Busch as a teammate to help (laughs) any Toyota uh, at this particular (laughs) time. At least he doesn't have to worry about maybe helping RCR cars. No, no, that's true. But but yeah, yeah, you're right. But I don't don't know how much. I think he's going to – Kyle Busch is going (laughs) to drive for himself and the hell with the rest of you uh, you at at this point in time. So I think Denny is going to put a lot of pressure on himself to to perform – at Texas and try to get that win there to uh, because he he's not that far up uh, as far as the cut yeah, line. Yeah, and especially how bad Toyotas have been, been on road on courses. Road courses. I mean, the yes. Roval doesn't look like it's going to no. be a savior for anybody no. left on that front. No. So you're right, Texas certainly magnified. We'll definitely be watching for that this weekend. And as always, we appreciate you joining here on the NASCAR NBC podcast. DJ. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Nate. We appreciate Dale Jarrett for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. 
Thanks to producer Aaron Feldstein and motorsports manager Emily Conboy for coordinating DJ's appearance. As you heard, we taped this on camera just before NASCAR America Motormouths, and you can see the video version of the NASCAR and NBC podcast on the Motorsports on NBC channel on YouTube. Subscribe if you visit. There's lots of great bonus content, highlights, features, and interviews from NASCAR, as well as IndyCar, IMSA, Supercross, MotoGP, all on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. The NASCAR Cup Series will open the round of 12 at Texas Motor Speedway. Coverage gets started Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. Check out NBCSports.com NASCAR for detailed schedules, start times, and coverage as always. And every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern on USA, it's the new docu-series Race for the Championship. This is the inside look at the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. In the world of NASCAR, every driver has their story. The new docu-series Race for the Championship will give you an all-access pass behind the scenes like you've never seen before. Catch Race for the Championship Thursdays at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on USA. And if you have any NASCAR NBC podcast feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.